We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Twenty minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I am really excited today to be talking with the one and only Will McFadden. He is a writer for the Falcoholic. You can find him on the host or as host of the Believe in Falcons podcast on the Believe Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Will McFadden. You can follow uh, the Believe Network at Believe Network. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Will, it is amazing to be chatting with you today about your Atlanta Falcons. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm really excited to talk to you about this matchup as well. Yeah, so where I wanted to kind of start, and before we kind of jump right into Packers, Falcons, I feel like there were so many teams that were in that we have no idea what they're going to be. And I think Green Bay is one of those teams. I think Atlanta is one of those teams. They both got victories, but even then you get victories of like, who are Chicago? Are they any good? Who is Carolina? Are they any good? So you're still kind of in the same sort of you know, place that you were probably a little bit better knowing that you got the win. But overall, I wanted to see before you got that win over the Carolina Panthers, what were your sort of expectations for this Falcons team going into the season even prior to that win? I think here in Atlanta, a lot of people's expectation was, all right, this is year three. And at the beginning of Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot taking over, we knew financially that this offseason was going to be the the area where you got some relief. and so this was always circled as kind of the year when everything should come together. And at that point, when they started on this journey in 2021, we thought Matt Ryan may still be around, but yet like a lot of things have changed. Julio Jones is gone. Calvin Ridley is doing amazing things in Jacksonville. So this is an entirely different team. And the expectation is playoffs. You know, I, we, you opened talking about how uh, there is this big log jam, especially in the NFC of these teams that, you don't really know what to make of because all of the guys that you used to know are, are no longer there. And 
especially quarterbacks. I mean, that has totally changed in this conference. But playoffs are the expectation for the Falcons in the NFC South, especially. And then I think, you know, as the season rolls along, people are talking themselves into, all right, get into the dance and then win one game. You know, like, let's see you do something because Tennessee was always really frisky in the playoffs. They were always that team where it's like Baltimore's the one seed. They're going into Baltimore. Oh, my gosh. They knocked off Lamar Jackson MVP. Like all of that stuff does carry to the playoffs. And so I think as you're seeing Arthur Smith build a, a little bit of an NFC version of some of that Tennessee toughness. This is a totally different um, kind of like stylized team, I feel like. Sure. But the heart of this unit is still that Tennessee run the ball, grind you down, be physical in the trenches uh, and make you feel like you played an NFL game when you come out of it. So, so far, I mean, want to know that's a great place to start. They haven't been want to know since uh, 2017 when I started wow. covering the Atlanta Falcons. So it's been a long, long time. Um, and it, it's nice to be here. Yeah, it's it, it's been a hot second, certainly since they've been in that position. Uh, sort of a similar question. There's as much as there's this long, you know, logjam of teams, and especially in the NFC of unknowns, it's the same thing at quarterback. And once again, Jordan Love and Desmond Ritter, sort of in that same conversation of it's just like what what do you expect going in? What are we going to see? What are we going to get? So your thoughts, kind of going into the season with Desmond Ritter, and then we'll kind of transition into his play against the Carolina Panthers and what you saw out of him in Week One. Yeah, I, I actually think that if you look at um, the two style of play of the two quarterbacks in this game, Jordan Love and Desmond Ritter, not dissimilar. I mean, right. they straight line throwers, and that's what Ryan Tannehill was in Tennessee. Like Arthur Smith has a type, not only a wide receiver, he likes big wide receivers, but he likes, you know, guys who throw it on a rope. And when you miss without a lot of touch, you're going to miss badly. And I think that was my main concern with Desmond Ritter heading into this season, as you saw it at Cincinnati, when he was off target, it, it was pretty egregious. <laughs> you know, he was, yeah. he was off target, but that also speaks into why the Falcons have guys like Kyle Pitts and Drake London and Matt Collins here, you know, these big catch radius targets. And, and there was a play against Carolina where it was probably the biggest play that Desmond Ritter made, unless I'm forgetting something that he kind of did with his legs, which he can also do. And is a factor of his game that, I really like, and I think we will see on display against a uh, uh, green Bay, but he put the ball up for Kyle Pitts, kind of in double coverage down the, down the field, but Kyle Pitts made a great play. You put it in position for him to use his length, his basketball skills, and, and he makes a big catch down the field. The Falcons need to see more of that this year. I think it was encouraging that Desmond Ritter made that play in particular. He was 15 of 18. I mean, it, the efficiency was there, but now you're just asking him to continue to grow in this offense. And that's all that he has to be this year is really just that game manager. They won by two touchdowns on a day when he threw for 115 yards. Like that is proof of concept. And I I think that he could get to where Jordan love is now, you know, maybe by next year, because that's kind of the timeline they're on. But I really liked what I saw from Jordan love in uh, green Bay season opener. I think that Desmond Ritter, like that is the, if we're going to, you know, apologies for, for nerding out here for one sec, my childhood Pokemon was like the huge thing. If, if Desmond Ritter is like the starter Pokemon, Jordan Love is probably that like second evolution. Neither of them are like the third evolution yet, but that's kind of where he is, I think, in his development. Let me just pause and say, A, you can nerd out as much as you want on this show. This is a 365-day-a-year Packers podcast. We're all nerding out in some capacity. Uh, the second thing is that it is it, like very uh, interesting to hear 
uh, at any point in time. Like this is the first time I think I've ever heard anyone say like, we're hoping our quarterback can, you know, can you know, like upgrade into being Jordan Love. Like that's just like, a, <laughs> it's just such a weird concept right now. So that is amazing uh, to hear. But um, no, I, I totally agree with you. Was there a penalty call I, I, on that uh, Kyle Pitts play as well? Did they call pass interference on that? Or did he just go up and get it? And I know he caught yeah. it. I know he caught it. Yeah, no, I I I don't think they okay. I can't remember if it's if it was. Point. I mean, obviously it was on the defense, but yes, he, no, he made sure. such a cool like swim move over the defender to then make the catch that it was it it was bang bang. They didn't throw a flag on Kyle Pitts, and that's all I care about. No, I knew that. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> interesting because I'm I'm going through and I'm watching the tape of it, and I'm obviously watching the all twenty two, so I'm not hearing the announcers and what they call it, or whatever. And I see the contact at the point of attack. Um, and on the defender. And I'm just like, Oh, that's going to be a pass interference. And I mm-hmm. kind of skip to the next play. And then at the very end, I'm like, wait, did he catch that? And then I like, we replayed it back and I'm like, Oh, he did catch it. And I'm like, wow, that's uh, you know, like just a great play from Kyle Pitts. And yeah, you know, Ritter put it right where he could go up and get it when you've got guys like Matt Collins, like uh, Kyle Pitts, like Drake London, um, they're, they're made up on the outside to have, like you said, that big, you know, wide radius, but they've also got those shifty guys and, um, you know, obviously Bijan Robinson too, that can do some of that work. And, uh, we'll, we'll start kind of going now into that game. And I, I just want to know your sort of key takeaways, what you saw from the Falcons, you mentioned, you know, two touchdown victory Ritter didn't have to do a ton, but what was other than Jesse Bates having a phenomenal freaking game <laughs> in his first game coming over from Cincinnati, what were your key takeaways from that game? Yeah, well, I know we'll get to Jesse Bates in a second, so I'll put him aside for right now. But I mean, the short answer is that he was the reason they won that game. Yeah. Um, but I really think that I would chalk this win up to the coaches and exactly what your first question was. You know, what are the expectations for this team? Where have they come the last two years since Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, you know, took over? And I really think that the Falcons, they have said, from day one, like we want to compete both now and in the future. I have to believe from day one, the coaching staff was like, we're trying to reach the playoffs from the jump. And they have been coaching that way. And one of the things that I have seen that has been a huge departure from the previous uh, regime. And, and I have all the respect in the world for Dan Quinn. I mean, obviously what he's doing in Dallas speaks for itself, but they change things game to game, have very tailored game plans for for Atlanta under Dan Quinn, it was very much about what we do, what we do well. We're playing cover three. We're, we're running this kind of Shanahan style offense. And, and that's what we do. And if you know it's coming, great. But we're going to beat you even if you know it's coming. The Falcons take a little bit of a different approach. <laughs> they are changing constantly. I mean, we see it on offense. But defensively this year, you're going to see a lot of this a multiple defense, very um, changing in the secondary. The fronts, Jesse Bates is a big, big part of that. But I think the adjustments that the coaching staff was able to make from the first half to the second half and every team makes adjustments and, you know, to some degree, they're all overblown. But the way Brian Burns was impacting the game for Carolina in the first half and the fact that, I mean, the crowd was kind of like, is this the team that we've been so excited about all offseason? Like it was reaching that point. The biggest uh, secret weapon for the Falcons is that they have young way coup. So sometimes you can't tell if, if boo birds are out or if coup birds are out. So for, for right now, at least I'll say that those were coup birds, but going into halftime, eh, it may have been some boo birds in there as well. So I think the adjustments they made to then be able to emerge again with a two touchdown victory, they kind of shut Carolina out in the second half. That to me is the biggest takeaway from, from week one. And it is the result of, I think the two years that have got them here, all of this work that the coaching staff has done, the real live reps of getting ready to play a Buffalo or to play, you know, a, a Tennessee or these good teams, but keep it close. 
the Falcons have been doing a very good job of that the last couple of years. Now that they've got hopefully the dudes to be able to win some of these games, that's where the expectations come in. But at least in week one, I was very confident that the coaching staff was able to kind of dial everything in correctly to then still emerge with a victory when for a half there, it looked like, all right, maybe you're going to start one or zero and one again. Um, as far as players, it's just hard to tell. Like the running backs touch the ball 70% of the time for this yeah. offense. That is not going to be the Falcons recipe for success moving forward. So we don't really know what this offense looks like when they do throw the ball 25 times. You know, what does Drake London look like when he is really getting involved? Because he wasn't involved at all in week one. What does Kyle Pitts look like when he has nine targets? You know, is is it otherworldly? Is it 156 yards and two touchdowns? Or is it like six catches for 35 yards? That is stuff that we are still trying to figure out with this team. But I do trust that game in and game out, the coaching staff is going to put this group in a great chance for success and then from there, it's up to the players. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of parallels here with Atlanta and Green Bay again. I think mm-hmm. you mentioned the different offenses that they're going to be able to throw out there. I think Green Bay, like it would not surprise me if we saw two totally different offenses from both of these teams than what we saw in week one, because they are so multiple. Both of them put a ton of stuff on tape, and now they could easily just go in a totally different direction yeah. in week two and just be like, surprise, we're not even doing any of the stuff that we did a week <laughs> ago. And I think both of these coaches have that you know, in their wheelhouse to be able to do. And then the other thing that you mentioned is these are two younger teams, and at halftime, neither mm-hmm. team was like really dominating or anything, and it was going to be hard. How did they make the adjustments? Could they go and get a win in the second half? And both these teams end up winning by double-digit scores in the second half and really put uh, a a fantastic performance together in the second half of their game. So I think that's what kind of makes this game so incredibly fun is you do have still these kind of two unknown teams. They're both 1-0. They both have, I think, legitimate playoff aspirations. Both of these teams could go, I think, in any direction from this point forward. And there's a real legitimate world in which the number seven seed, maybe number six, seven seed in the NFC comes down to Packers or Falcons. I think there's a, a real chance where that could be the case. So um, I think that there's so many lo- layers and levels to this that make this game so incredibly fun. I did want to go back for just a moment, though, to that addition of Jesse Bates, because mm-hmm. sometimes you spend that big free agent money on a player and they come in and it's just like, this is what we paid for. Like, this is this is it. This is it. And or maybe they get the contract <laughs> and then maybe they're not quite as motivated Man, he totally changed that game on its head. I talked about this with with Mike Wall yesterday, but that first interception that he has, um, and it was a little bit of Bryce Young kind of staring down his receiver and not checking to the left side to keep the safety honest in a little bit. They're playing a really fun coverage on that play, but you've got the two seams. I think if Young just looks left a little bit, Bates has to stay, but Bates being the veteran that he is, this is just the classic it's a rookie quarterback versus a veteran safety. The yeah. veteran safety just eats his lunch on the play, jumps the route. If you look at it from Bryce Young's angle, it looks like he's going to have, I think it was the tight end or whoever it was coming across, uh, you know, against the wire or against the linebacker. He throws mm-hmm. it and Bates just chef kiss perfect. So uh, he made such a huge impact Forced to fumble, had another interception after that. He's clearly going to be a player for the Falcons that they're going to want to give him those opportunities to make those plays. And that Jordan Love and Green Bay's offense is going to have to avoid. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very interested that dynamic right there at the end. Jordan Love and Jesse Bates, you know, yeah. how does how does that play out? Because Bryce Young was making his first start in his very first season. Jordan Love still, you know, first time full starter, not his first season. So no. he does have a little bit of that experience of at least watching Aaron Rodgers and learning and being in those meeting rooms and, and seeing. But doing is a little bit of a different animal. And Jesse Bates has been doing this for a long time and at a very high level. And I think people forget because when we look at this class, 
uh, this free agency class, apologies for, for Atlanta. When we look at this class, people like to start with, all right, Calais Campbell. Awesome. You know, Jeff Okuda. That's great. Even though he won a free agent, but, uh, you know, David Onyemata, Caden Ellis, we forget that the Jesse Bates was the crown jewel of this free agency class for Atlanta. It just so happens that he was kind of the first move they made. And yeah. that move was made in the peak of kind of the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. Like, so everybody was just kind of focused on Lamar Jackson. And then it was, Oh, and they spent a ton of money on a safety. That's kind of not what we yeah, expected the Falcons to do. And me personally, you know, knowing Ryan Nielsen was coming over, I was looking at CJ Gardner Johnson. I, I thought that that type of physicality, adding a player like that is, is more where they would go. Instead, they went cerebral. They went versatile. They went somebody who is truly a playmaker, but like a, a very smart playmaker. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, his last name is Bates for a reason. If he baited Bryce Young into one or, you know, both of those mistakes. Although the second one just looked truly like, you know, just a bad decision on, on yeah. the quarterback's yeah. part. That first one, even if, if Bryce Young had been looking right at Jesse Bates, you know, does he still kind of say, I, I know what you're doing. I know where you're going. Like, I'm still making this jump. Who knows? But he was the reason Atlanta won this game. I mean, his his turnovers led to pretty much all of Atlanta's points. Um, and then that forced fumble at the end was, was a key play in the game. At, at one point, I mean, to just speak to how much Atlanta's offense struggled at times and how much they needed Jesse Bates because their defense was kind of bend but don't break and Jesse Bates was the reason it didn't break. Did break, yeah. They they had one play after one of Jesse Bates's uh interceptions where I think they went backwards on the drive and then Young Way Koo had to make just like a long 49-yard field goal to kind of salvage any points on it. That was pretty much the uh indicative of the entire day for Atlanta. It was like, all right, great play defensively. We can cash it in for pennies on the dollar offensively, but that's enough against this Carolina team. So this will be a different beast, especially if Aaron Jones is in, because I think that he could draw a lot of attention from the safeties just in the way at both backs, honestly, but just specifically the way they like to use Aaron Jones in the flat as kind of that quick receiver. Um, and in on those K routes that uh, he did and scored that awesome touchdown pass on like that, that would be my biggest concern. Um, in terms of how Jesse Bates, like if he is shadowing your running backs, like maybe he's less impactful down the field, but he is going to be a, a huge part of this game. And I mean, I, I think it's safe to say he's easily a top three defender. It's Grady, AJ and, and Jesse Bates at this point for Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I like, I think those are the the trio of guys. If you're talking about top level defenders for this unit. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, I'll ask this question because it's one that we've kind of thrown around in Green Bay. It was like, all right, was was Green Bay good or was Chicago just really bad? So <laughs> yeah. as you kind of watched everything back on that tape and kind of reviewed it through the week, did you get a feel for, was that Atlanta good or was that Carolina bad? And usually it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Hello, friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye game six of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used game time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using game time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the game time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets 
tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and roll for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use code packaday for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code packaday for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using Prize Picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, It's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It's it's all so tar- hard to uh, figure that out after one week. Right? I know it's just one sample size. So yeah. it's like, how do you compare? Um, I actually I want to answer for Green Bay, which is not what you asked first. I think Green Bay looked really really good. I did too. Um, personally. Me me going back and watching that tape, like it's the trenches, right? And that's where Atlanta wants to play. And I thought that you felt Green Bay really come through with their defensive line and with their offensive line, and and. In that way, like I think they played much better than Atlanta did in the trenches, which is what scares me a little bit about this week's matchup. Um, Carolina, we know, is for a little bit there in this offseason, we're kind of in that mix of this logjam group of teams, right? Yep. And you look at the NFC, it seems like the the Bucks and the Saints were taking the escalator down. Falcons and the Panthers were riding that escalator up, and maybe there was going to be a changing of the guard. I think the preseason dampened a lot of that for Carolina. I think that is a team that is still trying to find its identity offensively, but defensively they've known what their identity is for a long time. And it is that defensive line. And I thought that Brian Burns obviously played really well. Derek Brown played really well in that sense. It prepared Atlanta for what is going to be a really tough slate of defensive fronts here to start the season. I mean, they've got Detroit after y'all and then Jacksonville. I mean, those are, but four pretty good defensive lines um, to start the year off with. But I think this was a little bit of Atlanta played a pretty poor game, uh, but it played the right way to win this game. And again, that is why I keep going back to the coaching staff and to the efficiency of the players. They, I think they recognize the game that they were in and said, all right, like this is our avenue to beat them. Whether or not I, I, think they can now go toe to toe with anybody in the league. I think we only saw one aspect of this Atlanta offense kind of by necessity because the other aspects weren't really working well. It's just really tough to tell whether that was Carolina playing well and that they're a good team taking that stuff away 
or if Atlanta just wasn't clicking because it's the first week of the season and they only played one drive uh, um, in the preseason. So I know I'm not giving you a great answer to this question because it is just kind of hard. I think Carolina can be a good team. The aspects where they are a good team, they certainly were on Sunday. And I do think it's notable that the Falcons still managed to mitigate that strength for Carolina and then overcome it. But Green Bay strengths shown through much more clearly. They looked like the more complete team that was executing its game plan to me than the Falcons did um, on their end. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly and entirely. I think what's really interesting to me, and as we start kind of transitioning to the, the matchup this week, is I think um, you know just the the Bijan Robinsons, the Jesse Bates, the Grady Jarrett's, the AJ Terrells. Like you can just see the impact that those guys were making on this game. If you don't have Aaron Jones, and we're recording this prior to getting the final injury report on Friday, uh, mm-hmm. but if you don't have Aaron Jones, if you don't have Christian Watson, just some of that playmaking is gone a little bit. It's not like we saw. Um, you know, against Chicago, some some other guys are, are certainly capable of stepping up and making plays as well. But uh, that does take away a big chunk of that. And I think Atlanta's big time playmakers could be the difference in this game. And I think that's going to what going to be what Green Bay ultimately has to limit. What what are your kind of key matchups that you're kind of keeping an eye on for this game? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's going to start with Atlanta's tackles against you know Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, like that that like. Um, I, man, Rashawn Gary was so impressive, even in a limited 12 snaps, against yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And then he had what, like five pressures, <laughs> like yeah, no, just, yeah, he, the PFF had him at five. Matt LaFleur said they had him at seven and he oh only had God. 10 pass rush snaps. So a yeah. de- I mean, way, a fairly decent day. Yeah. So, uh, and you're talking about a, a game in which it seemed like Brian Burns had one and a half sacks on in three plays, like yeah. for, for Carolina. So that right there is, is kind of my biggest area of concern because yeah, the quickest way to just wreck a game is, is totally not allow the offense to even get going. Um, and then you had Kenny Clark in the middle, although I feel better about Atlanta's interior offensive line, even though they have the rookie Matthew Bergeron, I think Drew Dahlman is a pretty underrated center. And then obviously we all know Chris Lindstrom, but I'll start there kind of on the exterior um, for the Falcons offensive line. And then, you know, I, I really do think that Jair Alexander and Drake London could be, a microcosm of this entire game because Drake London is, is the type of receiver who I, would I be shocked even knowing how good Jair Alexander is. If Drake London has seven catches for like 82 yards and, and one touchdown. No, because I think the type of game that he plays, if, if he gets downfield, if he boxes him out, if he runs a lot of these dig routes and does get a little bit of separation and, and makes a contested catch, like that is his game. However, I also know Jair Alexander is one of the most aggressive, physical, competitive cover corners in the league. And I could totally see a situation where Drake London has five targets and one catch for six yards. And whichever way that goes, I kind of feel like will be indicative of the entire game. Um, So that is a key matchup that I'm going to have my eye on as well. And then offensively, I really think that you could see Jaden Reed versus D. Alford being a very, very fun matchup for this team. Sure. D. Alford is, is a former um, you know, CFL player who Atlanta grabbed last year and was in a limited role, but he played really well when he was in there. And then they obviously brought in Mike Hughes this offseason, and a lot of people thought, okay, former high draft pick, he's going to come in and fill the slot corner role that Isaiah Oliver used to fill for Atlanta. And D. Alford flat out just kind of beat him out in camp, and he played extremely well all preseason long he had a punt return for a touchdown and so that kind of also helped him in in that facet because the falcons love guys who can play special teams who are also you know big contributors offensively and defensively so 
given if Christian Watson's out, I love what Jaden Reed brings to this Packers offense. That'll be a very fun matchup to watch kind of uh, as those two guys who are lesser known, but have big potential. Uh, whichever one of those guys can make plays, uh, that'll be a very fun matchup to watch. That's a really fun one. And if, in fact, Jones and Watson can't go, and again, we don't know for sure at this point, but if they can't, Green Bay needs those playmakers to step up. And we saw in mm-hmm. week one that Jaden Reed has that potential. I think he has even far more potential than what he showed uh, on week one. We saw a little bit of it on the punt return as well. And uh, yeah. I think that matchup could go a very long way in defining it. And I think the other thing you know, you mentioned with Drake London, like I'm, I'm interested to see – do they kind of match Jair like they did last week with DJ Moore because Drake's a little bit more of a bigger, more physical receiver? Do they, and obviously Hollins is on the other side as well. Do they just say, hey, we're just going to line up Jair on the left, Razul on the right, and whatever they want to do because Razul can match up. His, like I'm almost mm-hmm. more worried about that because I, you know Drake's such a good route runner that I think that can be what Razul struggles with from time to time. It's like I, I want to see Jair more on on Drake, but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of match up the corners with the wide receivers in that game, and then um, be interesting too to see if do, do they trust Jair on Drake? Do they feel like Razul can just shut down Mac Collins? Do they then you know bracket Kyle Pitts a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many really fun variables that are going to go into this that I'm sure are going to change the course of the game as adjustments get made. Um, and then I think Green Bay just has to tackle better than they did against Chicago last week. We saw Bajan Robinson on the little swing pass that probably should have been a five yard loss for mortal yeah. men. Um, but Bijan is not a mortal man. Um, and he makes a guy miss and then splits two defenders and takes it for a touchdown. Um, so he, you know, just getting him to the ground, I think is going to be a, a heck of a challenge in and of itself. And, and like I said, Green Bay's had their own tackling issues. And I want to ask you about this as well. You know, I thought Tyler Algier looked awesome in that game. And now Cordero Patterson potentially playing in this game as well. Mm -hmm. I'll say as like a non, um, you know, as from coming from a Packers standpoint, as much as I love Algier and I think Cordero Patterson has hurt the Packers on numerous occasions in the past. It does feel like, Hey, anytime you want to take that number seven off the field and bring anyone else in, that's, totally fine. And we are cool with that. So I'm going to be interested to see like how, how, how that plays out through the course of the season. Obviously you don't want to give Bajan too much wear and tear, but he is so freaking dynamic that anytime he's on the sidelines, you're kind of rejoicing a little bit. He really is. And they are, you know, it's one game again. So don't want to draw too much off of a small sample size, but it does seem that having Tyler Algier uh, still present is a huge luxury. Obviously, he was a he broke the Falcons rookie rushing record as a late round pick, and it's only his second year. So, like, yeah, they're just kind of adding strength on strength, which is what the yep. Falcons said they wanted to do when they they came here. Terry Fonda was like, "Look, we we're gonna just add dudes where we already got dudes. Like, that's what's wrong with that." Um, I I think that unlike the kind of Christian McCaffrey model or the Alvin Kamara model, where it was just like we're gonna run these guys into the ground as rookies the Falcons do seem to be at least in game one, taking a little bit more of a judicious approach with how they're using Bajan Robinson. I would not be shocked at all. If we see most games this season with a similar box score kind of ratio wise to what we saw in, in week one, which is Tyler Algier is actually probably your leading rusher on the ground in terms of overall carries, maybe not overall yards because Bajan is the more explosive player. And there were a number of times in this game where it looked like, man, if he makes one more guy miss or stays up for a half second longer, like he's gone for 55 yards. Yeah. And there were three of those plays that, that almost happened. So you have to believe that that's right around the corner, but 
Tyler Algier was actually the player who really provided a spark for the Falcons offensively early in this game. I mean, he had, I think, a run of like 12 yards and then another run of like 17 yards back to back. And that was the first time the Falcons had really moved the ball. So this is truly a one-two punch. And I, I think that the Falcons, what I've been saying all offseason, and personally, I'm very curious to see if this comes to fruition because I'm just out here speculating like everybody else. I don't actually know what's going to happen, <laughs> but I kind of feel like Bajan is going to be in a Debo Samuel role a little bit more where it is going to be a mixture of passing and and running. I mean, he had six targets, caught six passes in the season opener. So I really do think you're going to see both guys on the field at the same time. You could see somebody motion out to the slot or in from the slot into the backfield. You could see both guys in the backfield together. I mean, the possibilities for this are, are kind of endless. You guys know pretty well in Green Bay having a little bit of that one-two punch with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. These are similar types of players archetypally. You know, Bajan is a little bit more of that Aaron Jones and uh, Tyler Algier is a little bit more if you're A.J. Dillon. But the way that they're using these two guys, I do think is different. And Atlanta seems to use them a little bit more in concert with one another, whereas it does seem like Green Bay is taking that traditional model of like, all right, Aaron Jones, you've got six plays here, then you're coming out and AJ Dillon. Now you've got this series or, you know, coming out of halftime, AJ, let's see what you got. And then we'll like, there's more of a traditional rotation. I feel and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I do think you're going to see Atlanta utilize all of their backs pretty heavily together and separately and then together again. And it's just going to be crazy fun chaos. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. And like I said, those, those running backs are dynamic and it's going to be a huge key to this game. A couple quick ones, then we'll get you out of here. Um, anything on the Falcons injury report? Again, we're recording this prior to the final injury report on Friday, mm-hmm. but uh, anything that we should be keeping an eye out uh, for who could potentially miss or, or be in this game for Atlanta? Yeah, I'll start with who could miss because it's it's kind of a new one. Uh, Troy Anderson, who didn't sustain an injury, at least noticeably in the game on Sunday, but then came in uh, to the facility earlier this week and just kind of wasn't feeling right is what Arthur Smith said. So they've gone ahead and put him in the concussion protocol. He has missed uh, Wednesday and Thursday's practice. We'll see. Uh, You know, as you said, the injury reports have not come out yet, but he is uh, starting inside linebacker for the Falcons and somebody they have high hopes for. So if he can't go, it'll probably be Nate Landman or Tay Davis uh, filling in for him. And that's a pretty big step down for Atlanta. You know, no slight to those two guys, but He is the only player, I think, in real jeopardy or at least new jeopardy to miss this game. Jeff Okuda has been limited in practice the last couple of days. Uh, The Falcons talk a lot about their ramping up period, not just rehab, but making sure they're ready to go and contribute in games. And he did talk about, you know, not only the physical um, conditioning that you need to play 60 to 70 snaps in a game, but also the mental kind of focus that you have to have uh, playing and play out. And sometimes that needs time to ramp up. So sure. that's a long way of saying, I'm not sure if Jeff Okuda will be available on Sunday, but he's closer than he has been at any other point. So uh, he could be out there. Um, and then Cordero Patterson has practiced fully the last two days. He looks like he is on track to play his first game of the season after missing uh, week one. So that'll be nice for Atlanta's offense to have another veteran who you've who you've said, has given uh, the Packers problems in the past. It'll be nice if they're able to get him back. Very much. Is he uh, expected to be the primary kick returner or do they have somebody else in that role if he's back? He would probably be their their primary kick return, returner. That's still still his role. They elevated Godwin Iguabuike. Um, and a lot of hard names to, to pronounce. You guys do have some fun ones. Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah, so they, they elevated Godwin before uh, 
last week's game, which was kind of an indicator because he also can return kicks that Cordero was going to be out. So sure. they waived him. Uh, so I, I don't foresee that being a case again. If, if Cordero's back, I expect him to be back returning kicks. Gotcha. All right. The last, second to last one. Uh, the Falcons will win this game. If blank. Yeah. The Falcons will win this game. If Desmond Ritter has two touchdown passes. Um, I think he doesn't, again, have to do too much, but whether those come in the red zone and they're five yard touchdown passes or it's, you know, a 40 yard play because they they reach that area where teams like take shots and, and somebody's yep. down there. So I think that you're going to see the Falcons run the ball well because they run the ball well pretty much week in a week out. I think you're going to see the defense keep things frisky because I've come to actually weirdly trust Atlanta's defense to kind of keep their team in games. Uh, so this to me will come down to Desmond Ritter in a game where you know Bryce Young didn't outduel him, but it was kind of just a, a draw in a rookie's first start. You got another player who's kind of on the same footing in terms of starting experience. All right, let's see how you do now against Jordan Love. And it is a very tough Packers defense. I think he had an easier challenge last week, ironically, um, defensively, but it'll it'll be if Jordan Love or sorry, if Desmond Ritter has two touchdown passes then I think the Falcons will be in pretty good shape to win this game. No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I'm so excited for this game for so many different reasons, the multitude of which we, we talked about today. But uh, last and final one, your final prediction for Sunday's game, Packers-Falcons, who comes out on top? All week long, I have been saying I think it's going to be close, but I do think the Packers are right to be favored. And I've got this one as kind of like a 26-24 Packers win. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be tight. I think this will be a game that is representative of not just two teams that could be fighting for that sixth or seventh spot in the NFC playoffs, but like teams that could be fighting for the division and maybe a two or three seed in the playoffs. I mean, it's the beginning of the season. We've got a long way to go, but these two teams are capable. If we're making a short list of like, what are the teams that, that look like they could put together one of these 12 and five seasons the Packers and the Falcons would be pretty high up on that list for me. And I think we're going to see him play like it on Sunday. And I think the team that wins this certainly in a much better position to do mm-hmm. so going to two and oh um, Packers would follow up with that with a game at home uh, in week three. So it's going to be really interesting to, to see this game. I, I can't wait. I, I think it's going to be extremely close. This is going to be, I think a, a 10 round final. I would be most shocked if either of these teams won by double digits in this one. I think this Same. is going to be a one score game coming down to the final minutes. And I think, I mean, it's, it's lame. It's cliche. It's, it's every game I get it, but like the team that makes less mistakes in this one for these young teams that are trying to become, like you said, to work their way up to the top of that ladder. Um, the, the team that makes the fewest mistakes in this one to me is easily going to come up out on top. You've got two teams that maybe aren't super used to winning a lot of games who just won their first game, maybe a little yeah. bit, you know, uh, you know, high on life after week one, how do they respond to that in week two, especially if either of these teams get punched in the mouth early. So really, really intrigued. Will, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, tell us where we can find your work and plug anything you're working on. Yeah. So uh, I actually just wrapped up my first edition of, we're going to call it bird's eye view on the Falcoholic. And it's probably doesn't matter to your listener base, but Falcons fans, if you guys are listening, um, it'll be basically a weekly look at how every team remaining on Atlanta schedule did the previous week. So I think this first one clocked in at like 2,500 words and I tried to keep it very short for each team, but it's just like best player, uh, best offense player, best defensive player, like team stats to know from the game, just kind of blurb. So that just came up on the Falcolic. If you guys want to see what I wrote about the fa- or the Packers, you can go check that out. Um, and then Believe in Falcons, uh, new episode just came up with Mike Wall. 
So oh, we nice. broke down this matchup as well. Sounds like you were on the uh, same wavelength there. Yeah. Uh, and he was great, provided so much information. Yeah. And then Monday mornings, you guys can also uh, catch my recap of this game with former Falcons uh, fullback Ovi Mahaley. So we will break down Packers Falcons and you can check out Believe in Falcons wherever you get your podcast and follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. But that is that's what I got. Awesome. Uh, fantastic stuff. Give him a follow. Make sure to check out that work. It's always fun uh, reading Packers stuff uh, from, you know, the other side of the, the <laughs> yeah, mirror. So um, always fun. And, uh, you know, check out that episode with Mike Wall as well. I know you guys checked it out here yesterday, but I'm sure he provided a lot of ton of uh, a ton of amazing detail and content um, on that podcast as well. So, Will, thanks so much. Again, follow him on Twitter at Will McFadden. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply